All right, welcome everybody. Episode two of the AOS podcast. I'm running host again. Those that followed us, we know what happened last time, but luckily I'm not on the control, so we should have a, we're gonna have a good show. Uh, today we're talking about school transition during COVID. Uh, some of you know that the summer's winding down, and, and many schools are opening. And if you've been following the news, you've seen everything that's been going on. So we got the fellas with me, fellas. How y'all doing today? What's good, man? You know, I'm, I'm good. Like I said, we done took AOS on the road. I'm down here in New Orleans doing my thing. So, you know, we, we already on the road doing road shows. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. It's, uh, it's, it's good to be back with the fellas and, uh, you know, talk some, talk some education, talk some current events. Absolutely. Uh, so just for everybody watching, this is not a food pantry back here. This is a curriculum room. So... I'm not in. I'm not in the food pantry, but we're gonna jump right in. If if you if you following us again, if you haven't followed us, follow us on Twitter at the AOS Podcast, like our Facebook page, the AOS Podcast, and also subscribe to our YouTube page, AOS Podcast. Also, uh, Doctor Smith, tell folks about the ticker real quick. Give them like 15 seconds of what's going on at the ticker and what we're gonna be doing next week. All right, cool. So, yo, really, um, the ticker you see down at the bottom, um, the AOS podcast you know us three we will be doing a breakout session um at the national charter school conference on the 30th uh our session i believe is uh starts at two central standard time so three on the east and i don't know what time that is on the west but you know somewhere behind us uh but hey um basically there's two more days of the conference they kick the conference off on the 16th um there's gonna be another day uh what is that like the 20 third i think mm -hmm. and then you know 30th will be the last day of the conference and that's when we will be in the house and we're basically going to be just talking about um you know how do we lead through a time of change and how do you know what do we do as building leaders to really make sure things are still happening and being beneficial so uh you see the the, the ticker if you want to register for the conference please go ahead and uh, click on that or put that uh that link into your url and uh get registered and come check us out on the 30th absolutely yeah. appreciate it i right. can't see it those who can't see it is conference.publiccharters.org forward slash 2020 forward slash. No doubt. All right. So we're going to jump right into the first topic. So, Bob, I'm, I'm going to go to you first. So okay. everybody, enough people have seen CNN and seen uh, the interviews with uh, our secretary of education. So her latest interview, when she was asked a, a point blank question about reopening schools and she gave the, you know, the, the Trumpian answer of, you know, <laughs> speaking around it so what were your thoughts when you when you heard the interview whether it was live or after the fact about her response yeah i i actually didn't see it live but you know you open up your twitter feed and betsy devos is trending <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what's going on you know you know she said something or you know i, I think it wasn't surprising um you know how she responded to the question i think if you see any interview she does or she testifies in front of congress mm -hmm. she's talking around you know the answer and it feels like it's just talking points and i mean you know you get to a certain level uh, oftentimes you're you're going with the scripted answer and, the answer, and it feels like it's just it's difficult to um you know for folks to speak from the heart when they're at that level. And uh, I, I wasn't surprised, you know, I think, you know, was asked point blank, you know, what's it going to take uh, for schools to open? And she was just like, you know, kind of like this whole thing has been through COVID. We want the states and we want the LEAs to determine what's best for them. And it's like, you know, tell us, you know, this is something, you know, this is a jacked up situation, you know, give us something, you know, mm -hmm whether it's taking temperatures, whether it's, you know, cases should be in this range. I mean, just something general that we can go off of, not like, ah, you know, the numbers, you look at this and that, and just broad brush. Absolutely. Obviously, she's not able to hit every single uh, specific area, but you would like something that's a little more fun and just say, hey, you know, there's no perfect answer, but, you know, X, Y, and Z are some possibilities that, that folks need to look at. Absolutely. Dr. Smith, what about you, man? Did, did you catch it live or, or like, Bob, did you see it trending and then picked up on it? So, yeah, I, I didn't catch it live. I actually um, had seen it posted on Twitter, like a five minute snippet of the interview. And then I was like, OK, I just don't want to take the five minute snippet. Let me go look at the whole interview. So I went and watched the whole 20 minute interview, um, probably about an hour after it took place is when I actually watched it. And I, and I really want to, you know, give a shout out to Dana Bash because I think Dana Bash really pushed her 
a lot of her responses, even though Betsy didn't really come with some, you know, really good answers. Like Dana was really trying to push her and kind of back her into a corner, make her answer a question uh, instead of kind of just giving her a pass on the whole interview. Um, so my, my take on the whole thing, and I know kind of Betsy is kind of in a, in a tough spot. You know, she's really not qualified for the position and she's kind of, you know, trying to tout what Trump wants us to do and things like that. But it goes back to something my grandmother taught me a long time ago. And I tell my staff all the time, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? What she was saying is right. I mean, you know, just kind of give a quick quote, you know, the, her big main point in her, you know, and I quote says, the key is that kids have to go back to school and we know that there's going to be hot spots and those need to be dealt with from time to time. But the key or the rule should be kids going back to school this fall. Like everybody knows we want kids to go back to school. Like everybody wants that. Like you're stating the hours and even Dana Bass said like, like, we all agree with you on that point. We're just saying, how can we do it in a safe way to make sure everybody is being safe. Students, staff, parents, everybody's being safe. And she really didn't have a talking point, you know, any, besides that one talking point, she really didn't have anything to go with there. Um, even if she would, you know, when she talked about the CDC guidelines, you know, she really, well, those are just really recommendations or whatever, you know, she couldn't speak to him. And I was just really asking like, does she, has she even read the CDC guidelines? Mm. Or has somebody briefed her on what they say? You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, even if you just go through the CDC guidelines or just look at the checklist, um, look at the checklist that the CDC provided, it'll kind of give you a lot of that information on like, here's what schools should be considering. Here's what schools should be looking at. I mean, I would encourage parents even to go and look at it. So as their schools start to roll out their back to school uh, restart plans to really bump it up against what, you know, what the uh, CDC is saying districts need to take into account. Um, and then my kind of final part, point on this, and I'll kind of, you know, let, let you go with yours is that, She's really what, what she did is a common issue that we have in education. We have people that are making decisions, telling us what to do, but never tell us how to do it. Mm. And that's the, that's the big issue I had. She wants school to open, but really can't tell us how to go about. You know, you want schools to open. Then she tried to play to the school choice thing at the end. Well, if schools don't want to open, then the money should go to the families and then they can go out there and figure it out. Well, from what I understand, ain't no schools opening. And so parents mm. don't have a choice on where they're going. So I just really feel like, you know, she's you know playing politics with kids lives. You know, based on we need schools to open, but we don't know how it's going to happen. So that's kind of, you know, I'll kind of leave it there and give you some point, you know, give you some space to talk about your thoughts. Yeah. So I think I'll start by this. I think I want my kids back in school. Right. And so we'll, we'll talk about our reopening plans. But I want my kids back in school because the, the population that I serve, like they'll be better off by being in school, being taught by instructors in person. But like you all, I saw it on Twitter as well. And. Dana Bass did a really good job because she asked her a point bait question. She said, Do we want schools to how do we want how do we want schools to reopen safely? Simple question, right? And to your point, like she didn't give us a straight answer. But her argument was there isn't a one-size-fit-all. But essentially, you were trying to force everybody to a one-size-fit-all by saying everybody's got to open up. And schools are given online options because they don't necessarily know how to get all their kids in safely and so there was a there was a fact by the fairfax county public school superintendent and he said that um they de their default setting on a normal day is 18 inches he said their school district is compared to five pentagons basically he would need five more pentagons in order to get kids in schools more safely like yeah. that was it right then i was just like dang like He's right. Like, and I think about my setting seating. We had our kids in pods. It was probably about 18 inches, give or take, right? So now you're asking three feet, four feet, five feet, six feet, even for 15 to 20 kids in a normal class size is not realistic, right? We're yeah. not operating in classrooms at the size of the gym. Um, and so yeah, I mean it, it's difficult. And, and I think online for schools that are opting in online, again, we're gonna get into this. I might be jumping ahead, but it works. It works because they have families or they have the capacity of infrastructure within their district to, to provide Chromebooks and Wi-Fi routers. And, you know, what we're dealing with is trying to make our pacing guide and curriculum adjust to an online setting because it's designed to be taught every day at certain blocks of the day. But you can't have kids sitting online for that long. So you have to make adjustments to your pacing guide for certain segments. So, again, I. I'm not going to criticize her. I, I'm, I'm, I'm off criticizing. You know, I, I'm done playing Facebook as secretary. So I'm not going to criticize a woman for what she said. But I do have to ask, like, is that really how she feels or is she speaking about 
Or she's speaking for the administration. Is that truly how she feels, Bessie DeVos personally? Or is that the Trump administrative answer, you know, administration answer? So my question for you on, we don't know her, but some of the things that she's saying, because she can't even give us a straight answer, I don't even know if that's really how she feels. So what's your thoughts on that? Like, is that how she really feels or you think she's she's giving the party answer? Uh, so two things I, I want to talk, you know, briefly, because I know we, you know, we, we want to, uh, we have other things we want to get to in, besides this segment, but two things I want to talk about first. I, I don't, I don't know if that's how she feels. I think she really doesn't know. I, mm. I, I don't think she really knows. I don't think she's educated enough to be able to make those kind of decisions to be able to, I, so, I, so in essence, I think she's giving the party answer. So she's going to, you know, I'm, I'm riding with Trump, even though I really don't, you know, truly believe this because I don't have an answer. So, you know, when I don't have an answer, I'm going to go with the answer that was given to me to say. You know, if you kind of nailed her down, I think if you gave her some true serum, she would really tell you, I really don't know how to do this because I, I don't think nobody does. I think we're all taking shots in the dark trying mm -hmm. to figure this out. So I don't, you know, that's that's that would be my one thing. But the other thing I want to make sure we hit upon, because especially if there's parents listening or other educators or people that just really aren't informed on how the school system works, because the other thing that they talked about that Dana tried to push her on was, so are you going to withhold money from schools? Mm. Are yep. you going to withhold money if schools don't open up? You know, and in the traditional setting, because, you know, she kept saying schools should be able to make those decisions. So one thing I was thinking, like, OK, well, if you want schools to make decisions, they should be able to decide on how to open up. But real quick, just about the money piece, because if you really look at any school district, 90 percent of those funds that a school that runs a school is really can't, comes from the local community or the state. The federal government only provides about 10 percent of the, the money that takes to run a school. However, and I want to make sure this is very clear. Most of us, and I know for me for sure, and I'm pretty sure you too, you too as well work in title one schools that are serving students that are disadvantaged, low income, black and brown students. And the federal government basically mandates hundred percent of those funds. So if they withhold those funds, like for me, exactly, I mean, just for me personally, like that, I'm taking a huge hit. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's a huge hit on stuff that's going to help me help my students that are, that are reading grade levels below, buying extra programs, paying for pairs, paying for my instructional coach. Like those are the instructional needs that I need in my building that, those Title I funds that they're threatening to hold will go towards. So the general operation fund, teachers and stuff will still get paid. But those extra things that I need to get my kids who are behind that are coming to me behind up to grade level, those other resources aren't going to be bought if they withhold those Title I funds. So I want to make sure that money piece is really clear for people when they talk about withholding money, because in the grand scheme of things, they do only hold 10 percent of the operating budget of a school. But yet Title I plays a part in a whole bunch of disadvantaged buildings to make sure those schools go. Hmm. Yeah. And I and I just wanted to add on to that. Um, you know, I, I saw that I saw the CNN interview and then I, I saw a Fox, you know, she did a follow up with Neil Cavuto on uh, on Fox and, you know, had the opportunity to get in, in more in depth. But, you know, she kind of stayed with the talking points. So, you know, again, I, Doc, I, I think she's, uh, you know, just talking along the party lines. They're they're feeding her what um what to say and mm -hmm. you know obviously i don't know her and, and those types of things but i think i think the bottom line is that she wouldn't come forward and uh and, and say that she doesn't know and i think that's you know that's a challenge uh in a leadership position um you know but yeah. i think all leaders have to have the ball sound cut out there you go ball you still there my bad. Sorry about that. Yeah. Cavuto um, uh, asked her about that money piece. And, you know, she said if we're if schools aren't delivering, uh, you know, we make we make a promise um, that we're going to provide education. If we're not providing that education, uh, then then they shouldn't have have that money. And I, I think no matter what format is, we're going to open up in some format and we have to fund schools. I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line. Doc, you talked about it. those Title yeah. I funds are crucial. And if and if they're withheld, those are the students that are going to be impacted the most. Yeah. Well, let me say this have them. before we wrap up. Between Bessie DeVos and Ben Carson, they didn't made it through the whole four years just about. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, like she she come November, she made it. And I can't say much about anybody else in the, in the uh, administration. But her and Ben Carson, they made it through it. So. On to the next topic. We're going to wrap up that. Um, I think that the topic, you know, we are school leaders, right? And we are we have a heavy burden like other school leaders around the country. And so let's let's kind of talk about our restart plan, our reopen plan. You know, what are we doing for our families? And so, uh, Doc, I'll start with you. 
what what's the plan? You know that you guys have for families. You know as much detail as you can go into or provide context for what you guys are providing for families when you guys open. So you know, um, so I, I am um, you know one of the lucky few in my, you know in my district to be on the restart committee for our district, um, along with some people on the operations side, some other a uh, couple other principals, as well as the superintendent and his cabinet. Um, so basically, kind of just give you in a nutshell. Um, there's basically three different lanes we're kind of looking at and, and i'm gonna be honest with you we haven't picked the lane as of right now because things are so fluid with this virus with the numbers and things like that so basically you know you have the traditional we open up every kid come back i would say that that's probably the least likely probably not going to happen scenario in my own opinion based on what we're looking at so the two other ones that we're looking at is a few, full virtual um setting and we are currently um in the process of you know looking at different pd formats um and we're looking at a uh, canvas to house a lot of instruction, online instruction for our students and our staff. Um, and so that's the full virtual online thing, which is kind of, you know, kind of one of the options that we are truly considering. But then we're also looking at the hybrid model that everybody's been talking about around the district, um, looking at, you know, students being in school um, two days a week and then online for three days a week. And then how do we break those kids up? Um, we're still kind of looking at different options with that. Um, and I think the one piece that I've found out since I've been on this um, restart that I think a lot of people aren't talking about um, that's really going to guide, engage if kids do get to come back into the building is the transportation issue. Like, for example, in Missouri, right now, we can only put 21 kids on the bus. I got 400 kids in my building that ride the bus. I, you know how many buses I would need just to get kids to school? And we're one building out of seven in our district. So I think that's a piece that we're really looking at that's going to dictate a lot of what goes on if kids come back to the building in some capacity is the transportation piece, just getting kids back and forth to school. And I, I was just I was I was surprised on how much of an impact that one of piece played. And nobody's really talking about that. You know, they were talking about getting kids, you know, coming in the building. But how do we get those kids to the building, especially kids in, you know, in urban environments who need transportation to get there. So if your district or your state is saying that you can only put a limited number of kids on the bus, that's going to be the first hurdle that people are going to have to try to jump over. Um, so just kind of recap, you know, we're looking at basically a hybrid model, two days in, three days online, um, an AB day schedule with half our students. Um, also with that, we're, you know, trying to make sure we have families. So for example, we have one high school. So we're starting at the high school and we're splitting those kids in AB day. So if I have a kid, a family, that the high school student is in a group, then the entire family is going to be in the A group. So if I have a middle yeah. and elementary, that way we're making sure, you know, if, you know, high school kids got to watch younger siblings. So we're taking all that into accountability as well. Um, and then like I said, so that's kind of the, you know, where we're at. Um, we ha we do have a more spelled out plan that we're really troubleshooting right now. So basically a lot of the, uh, stakeholders are looking at it and they're just kind of saying, Hey, did you consider this? Did you consider this? Um, and our ideal, that timeline we're looking at is around the uh, 25th or 27th, putting something out into the community and like, hey, here's kind of what we're going to do based on the numbers. It's going to really dictate what actually happens, you know, because like I said, right now, numbers are skyrocketing all over the country. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Bob, I'll go real quick. So, you know, Indianapolis, we are approaching the start of school. And I think our state and our city start school a lot early. So my particular school and so schools around me, we start August 3rd. And so our in-person plan and our, our procedures and safety to return kids in person or online. And so we're working on a virtual plan. So we're basically, we're giving all families two options. Option one, you have your child in school five days a week, you know, all day. Option two, family saying, I want to opt my student into virtual. And so what we're doing is we're letting it ride for like five to eight weeks. And so if parents opt into an option, they have to stick with it for five to eight weeks just because we don't want the flip-flop of in, in virtual, um, in person and things like that. Right now, our numbers, we only got like 10% of our families that have opted into the virtual platform. And so with the virtual learning, probably the thing that keeps me up is not is how do I make sure that the instruction that I provide virtually is of the same quality that's happening in person? Because I don't want families who opt into virtual to be shortchanged because they have concerns about safety. And so that's the thing that's keeping us up at night. And so as I mentioned, y'all in the pre-show, man, I'm trying to we're looking at our pacing guide, how we're adjusting that how we're adjusting some of our blocks and things like that to make sure that it fits for, to a virtual model. But we are going to give kids live lessons in virtual. Um, we use a platform called Schoology. So Schoology houses our curriculum. It houses our um, parent communication. Kids can submit lessons and things and stuff and get grades and things like that. But we're a Microsoft school. And so all of our kids will have Chromebooks, K through six. And then they'll be able to log on live to Microsoft Teams to get a live instruction for their teacher and then they'll have office hours and things like that that'll be built in while we're also running 
a, a model of in-person. So we got an in-person model going live and a virtual uh, option going live. And so for me and my leadership team, like how do we manage that? How do we make sure we're coaching and providing feedback to those teachers online, also in person, but how do we make sure that our online, online option for those families are getting what they need? And that's been the biggest struggle. So we're looking to release our virtual plan on Monday because like I said, our teachers come back, came back yesterday and our kids start back August 3rd with our kindergartens who start back uh, July 30th. So we'll bring our kindergartners in person by themselves, get them acclimated and it help us work through some of our safety procedures. And so we have desk shields and we're requiring masks for all teachers and all students K through six. And so we'll build in that time where they can kind of take their breaks, you know, with their masks. But major transitions, you know, in the hallways they have on their mask and cafeteria lunches in the classroom. So that's kind of where we are. I mean, you can check out our plan at summit.tinley.org. But um, it, it's it, like you said, we're shooting in the dark, as you said, Doc. We're shooting in the dark. So, Bob, what, what hey, you guys got quick, going on out there? Hold on. Yeah. Oh, let me, I want to kind of Bob, I want you to speak to this as yeah. well. I, I could come back at the end and kind of talk about ours. And then also, Dave, you can kind of talk about it like. Uh, with that virtual piece, what are y'all doing as far as infrastructure for kids having Wi-Fi connection or internet connections at home? Is that part of y'all plans or not? So I, I know you're getting ready to talk about yours now, boss. So I, you yeah. know, if you could just kind of add that into your answer too. Yeah, it's good. Absolutely. Yeah, we got, yeah, we got real cool. We do have routers that we're giving for families that need them. But the question is the, the, the quantity of routers. Will we have enough? So that's probably our biggest issue. Okay. Yeah, so um, we just had our board meeting. Uh, the board of Ed met last night, and their their recommendation to us, uh, to the staff, was for us to go virtual. Um, so everybody is going to start online, uh, and um, we're going to do a block schedule for uh, six through twelve, and then elementary is going to is going to be a block as well. Um, it's a little bit little bit different type of format, uh, but. Yeah, we actually had um, the original plan came out Tuesday. So they had a, a almost six hour board meeting on Tuesday mm -hmm. to kind of hash through because originally all the most of the board members wanted a hybrid to where there is in place or in class instruction face to face on campus uh, for two days and then three days are online and you got your uh cohort A and your cohort B. And so um, right after that meeting was over with on Tuesday, um, they decided, well, let's come back on Thursday with a more refined plan. Um, after that, the state superintendent was like, uh, you need to be able to do temperature checks. You need to um, be able to do contact tracing if you're going to have in person. Mm -hmm. So immediately it was like, uh, let's pivot. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have to do this thing online. Um, and I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of logistics that go along with uh, trying to do a, a hybrid model. I mean, you have to increase staffing. I mean, that goes mm -hmm. back to our first question with the um, with the funding. If they take funding away, how are we going to do all these things and meet all these needs? And, you know, yeah. the social distancing, the physical distancing, you know, the meals. So, um, you know, so so that's, you know, the major part of our plan. So uh, for our elementary schoolers, um, they are going to be using uh, the Seesaw platform, mm -hmm. which where the plan is for, you know, uh, students to have contact with their teachers. And if for in that block schedule, you're going to have that face to face direct instruction. Uh, then you're going to have time to do small group independent work, but students are going to be responsible for for checking in to each of their classes each day. So, you know, you've got uh, at the middle school, we've got in the high school, we got seven classes. So it's going to be uh, first period and then uh, two, three, four and then uh, five, six, seven the next three days. And it's going to uh, overlap in that block schedule. But, you know, it's it's. The, the parents wanted more rigor because obviously in the spring it was loose and we didn't really know um, mm -hmm. that, that was gonna, um, you know, there, there wasn't a high level of accountability that everyone, you know, was expecting, you know, students, you know, parents were giving feedback. Well, my students don't take this seriously. They know they're not getting great because we went a past no mark versus the traditional letter grades. So, um, so we're going back to the traditional letter grades, much more accountability, much more direct instruction, which we weren't getting. Uh, to go to your question, Doc, with the um, uh, hotspots, um, our director of technology said that we're going to make sure that every student that needs one is going to get a device, uh, Chromebook. And um, if they need hotspots, 
um, then they're going to get those as well. I mean, that's a, a huge component. I think, um, you know, kind of I, I saw the the question pop up as far as teachers go. Um, I think there was with that initial plan for a hybrid, there was going to be a lot of pushback from our teachers and from our teacher uh, union because, you know, t- teachers are nervous. You know, although yeah. although students aren't the ones that are being hugely impacted, they're carrying it. They're mm-hmm. carrying it. And so, you know, we've got I, I think one of the major concerns that our board heard was we have uh, families that, that have extended families that have grandparents that are living with them. And, you know, they're nervous. Our high schoolers were expressing that type of thing. And then parents, I mean, our, our, excuse me, our staff with young kids, you know, some of them have mm-hmm. those underlying mm-hmm. conditions. They've got parents that they're taking care of and things like that. So if we, I think if we would have gone, try to go to that hybrid solution right away, there was going to be a lot of pushback from teachers. Yeah. And then, I mean, we're not even touched. We haven't even touched on the training. I'm sure we'll get into to that, <laughs> but making sure that they're prepared uh, for, for that higher level of instruction. Yeah. I think for teachers, for us, and I'm I'm speaking solely for Tenley Summit. So this is not a this is not an answer for Indianapolis public schools or any other schools within Indiana. Or, but so for Tenley Summit, so the first thing that 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 I did was when I hired my staff and I realized we were going to offer in person before I even crafted a plan. I had one on ones with each of them, and I asked like, "What are your concerns?" Right. How are you feeling about returning in person? And here are the safety measures. And we got a committee of teachers who were on some of those planning. Like, so they, they put in some of the safety procedures and precautions that we have as a school. And so getting their voice, they felt comfortable. But honestly, most of them even said, like, the one thing I have to give up, if I have elderly parents or elderly, elderly relatives or relatives with underlying health issues that I, I may not have to see. And I asked, are you willing to make that sacrifice if we go in person? You know, and they say yes. Right. And so I have to I have to commend them for that because that's a sacrifice on their end because they they put their life on hold and, and, and essentially in jeopardy. But I think what schools have to do is you have to talk to your teachers. And like you said, Bob, because not all teachers will be like my staff. Now, we're a charter school. We don't have a union. Right. So we're at will. But human decency, if I had a teacher that said to me, Miss McGuire, I really don't feel comfortable in person, then I have an obligation as a principal to how do I make sure that staff member still stays part of our school community and how do I, how can I leverage them to serve in the virtual setting? But I would, I would never say, well, you know what? You can't work here. Ain't going to work for us. Cause I think that that gets away from the human side. And so we, ha- we, ha- we have to be humans first. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important that, that schools do that. But again, not all schools are in that luxury. And, but I also know from a school standpoint, you also can't have all your teachers saying, I'm going to go on strike, especially a school like mine where 250 of the kids are opting into being in person. So if I had nine teachers that decide not to teach, that puts us in a bind too. So what about you, uh, Doc? You know, uh, what's your thoughts on, on teachers and, and their voice in this? Uh, so um, we definitely, like I said, are trying to get the teacher's voice into it. Um, even before, you know, I got asked to be on the district restart committee, I had already kind of put together just a uh, restart committee in my building just to kind of start to get ideas on, you know, how do we do things differently as far as just traffic patterns around the building? Um, you know, <laughs> we have to cut down on the number of kids in the classroom. How do we make that happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, do, how, do, how does breakfast and lunch look if we can't use the cafeteria? Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of really looking at those different things. And then, like I said, being asked to be on the district restart committee, kind of going back to them and saying, you know, hey, you know, what are some concerns that you have that I could take back to the committee and voice? Because I think a lot, even if you go back, to, we talked about with Betsy, I think a lot of districts and superintendents and restart committees are having conversations based on what's best for kids and not considering what teachers need to happen mm. in order to make this happen. But at the end of the day, if we ain't got teachers, ain't nobody going to put in no buildings. So <laughs> I, mean, I don't you know, care how good your restart plan is or, you know, how many people you got to opt it into hybrid or in person. If you ain't got teachers to step in front of those classrooms, it ain't going to take place. It ain't going to happen. So I think the teacher voice is very, very much needed in this time and space. Um, so you know, I, I definitely keep going back to my teachers. Matter of fact, I just happened to be, like I said, on a Zoom yesterday. It was actually a birthday Zoom for one of my teachers. Um, and, they, you know, they asked me, you know, Dr. Smith, you know, what's going on with the plan? I, you know, kind of gave them just a brief overview. And like, what what are, what are y'all concerns? You know, you know, I kind of here's where we're at. 
you know, even in my so in my building, just kind of give you in my building, we um we have pods. So each you know team or is in a pod. You know, we talked about well, instead of having kids move around for contract tracing person, why not just have each you know a group of kids to stay in that room and we just rotate teachers? Absolutely. You know, so that's kind of the thing that you know just stuff like that that you know I you know couldn't think of or wouldn't have thought of on my own having their input or even like I said our, our you know our building is like a big old circle and then like I said the pods come off of it. Then it's just you know just like the interstate. Once you start going that way, you know traffic flows one way. And we just kind of have everybody going that way. So you don't have people going back and forth against each other. So really just looking at that, uh, looking at what lunch looks like. If teachers have mm. kids have in the classroom, you know, teachers still are obligated to get a duty free lunch. So, you know, how do we how do we leverage our support staff to cover classrooms during lunches to make sure teachers still get that time for that? Because I still want to make sure teachers are voices are being valued, but also their presence in the building is being valued if that's what we have to go to. So and then the big thing that they've asked for from day one, I continue to push this with my district and even working with some, uh, with the other middle school principal, we've kind of spearheaded some things is we need PD. We need PD on how to do virtual learning. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, what we did in, in spring was emergency learning. It was get by learning. It wasn't true virtual learning. So, you know, they really wanted, so we've really been trying to get, you know, uh, I've been trying to send teachers to different conferences throughout the summer that's centered around virtual learning. Uh, we got a couple of things set up with uh, Learning Science Institute that's coming up in August to kind of get them, you know, started with that. So, Really, what are we providing for teachers so that they're comfortable to come back in those buildings? I'm in the same you know, place as you, Dave, is that a lot of my teachers say, you know, if we got to come back into the building, like, we'll make it happen. Mm -hmm. you know, we'll make it happen and, you know, and deal with it like we can. Now, those ones who can't because they got elderly parents or, you know, got kids with compromised immune system, we're definitely going to try to, you know, make sure we put things in place so that they, they don't feel like they're not a part of the family anymore. Absolutely. So, yeah. so we're, we're going to move on to the next topic. But uh, <clears throat> at some point, because we're going to talk about communication. I want us to, to remember when we talk about communication later on the show, let's hit on how we engage with parents, because that's a good question that was brought up by those. Listen, like, how do we engage parents in that conversation? So I want to make sure we hit on that. We hit on communication. But we'll jump into our, our next topic um, on this. So and, you know, what? we can hit it. We can hit on it here too. building trust. Right. This idea of trust with students and families. And so I, you know, I'll kick this one off. This has been so I always thought we had a good trust with my families, right, in a normal setting. But in this new normal of potentially, you know, with COVID and everything like that, trust is even more important. And, and the question that I ask myself and my team is, do our parents trust us enough to A, educate their child in person safely, B, educate their child in a virtual setting to the rigor and standards that they, they deserve, right? And so that's the trust that we need to build right now um, because parents are making decisions and some are going to make a decision about whether or not their kids can come in person because they're concerned about their internet or their ability to teach their kid. And they're going to dismiss the fact that I don't feel safe with my child being in school, right? Or some parents are going to not feel like the school is safe enough and bring their kids home because they really want them in person, right? But they just don't know what the school is offering, right? So they're going to have other kids at home, but that's not really what they wanted. So it's important that we build this trust so parents can make a decision that they feel is best, absent of whatever else is going on, whether the quality of instruction, whether internet, they should make a decision solely about, will you be able to sleep at night with whatever decision you make about your kid being in school or being in person? But it's, it's going to be an ongoing thing. So, Ba, I ask you, man, like, what's that like, man, building trust with your students? Build trust with your families during this time. Yeah, I think that during the uh, school year before everything hit, I think it was huge. Um, this was this past school year was my first year uh, as building principal, and communication was, you know, what I all I the only thing I, I could do in order to begin building that trust, and you know, consistently communicating on a weekly basis, and you know, being out there and meeting. Um, meeting the parents that pick up and drop off and all those types of things. So they could see me so they could know who I was. And, you know, I, I did videos, I do videos and, and all those types of things. I invite the parents in and I make parent phone calls uh, and all those different things. And I think that that is, uh, that's the baseline. I think if, if, if you're not about involving parents in their child's education, then you have no business being in education, being an educational leader. Uh, because that's who you're serving. That's who we're working for, um, for our students. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and our parents have to feel like this is a place where they can confidently send their students. 
um, and that we have their best interest in mind. I mean, you know, there's there's all sorts of things about, you know, public public education and, you know, we can talk about the foundations and, and who it's really built for. Uh, but us as leaders, parents are looking at us. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking at us like, you know, and it's not just about what we say, like it's about how we show up and how consistent we are. And, and I think that, you know, that is so important. And so, you know, just in my plans moving forward, um, my, my focus uh, with my assistant principal when we, when, um, when we get back to work officially on Monday is, is to um, figure out how we're going to contact each family, check in with them to make sure um, that, you know, if they have any questions, I mean, right now there's a lot of questions. Like I said, uh, last night they just rolled out what the plan is. And so there are a ton of questions about what it's going to look like. Um, I didn't mention eventually, you know, we're going to transition from all remote to probably a hybrid before we get into full in-person. So there's so many things that kind of go into that. And so just communicating and talking and answering questions and just listening. Cause right now it's a lot, there's a lot of emotions, mm -hmm. a lot of emotions. And, you know, if, I'm just going to be honest and say, Hey, I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're going to work hard and we're going to keep you informed. And if you have questions, I'm here to listen and uh, let's, let's figure this thing out. Cause you know, no matter what the solution is that we come up with, it's not going to make everybody happy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, no matter what the size of your school and, you know, there's, folks on both sides, you know, I, I'm not sending my child to, to school, you know, and you better take my kid tomorrow, all of those things. So um, just trying to manage all those expectations, I think is a big part of, uh, of that communication piece. Absolutely. Doc, what about you, man? How's, how, how's this building trust been? What you've been doing, you know, to make sure everybody feels, feels good about what y'all got. Uh, so a couple of things before, you know, before I get it out, I want to kind of just talk about with, with the whole trust thing. I feel like as a principal, you know, it, we 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 got a we got a, a huge hill to climb with this whole COVID nineteen and trust thing. But if you are a returning principal, I don't care if you return after your first year or your fifteen year, and your parents don't trust you, you got a mountain to climb. Because if they already weren't trusting you, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be real difficult. And I want to say that was the one thing that I put forth at the forefront of my first year last year was building relationships with all my stakeholders, with parents, students, and things like that. But there's two quotes I want to give about trust um, that I think you know is very powerful at this in this moment that we're talking about and I you know I'm not gonna take credit like I came up with them they're actually from the book lead like a pirate um by Shelley Burgess and Beth Huff um so the first quote says trust is is the oxygen of our system you can't see it hear it touch it or feel it but without it you will find yourself struggling to survive and then the second quote says trust is made up of two essential components character and competence character is all about the is all about integrity and competence, competence is about having the knowledge and skill set to do the work. Like those two things is what really, you know, is what mm -hmm. we don't have to operate with right now. You know what I'm saying? That trust factor with parents is, 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 you know, is paramount at this moment. You know, so some of the things that I've been doing, and it really goes back to um, some foundational stuff I did in the first three quarters of last year, but more importantly, what happened during the fourth quarter when we first went to um, virtual, you know, online learning and things like that. The first thing was we created a, a, a private Facebook group just for our parents, you know, and I told them, I said, you're going to hear a lot of stuff, you know, from <laughs> media, you're going to hear a lot of stuff from the rumor factory. You're going to hear a lot of the stuff from all the little Facebook groups that come out for parents in our community. But when you want to hear something directly from me, it's going to come, it's gonna, this is where you, this is where you can go to get it. It's going to come from right there. This is going to come directly from Dr. Smith. And if you got a comment, a question, anything like that, you put it there and I guarantee you within 12 hours, you'll get an answer, which is, uh, you know, that was kind of just, just case stuff was going on. But um, and one of the things I prided myself was on is when a parent put a comment or a question on that Facebook page, I was trying to get them an answer within an hour, even if I didn't know. Like, hey, I saw your question. I really don't know the answer to that. I'm researching it. Let me get back to you. Um, so I think that was the first thing. The other thing that um, that I did and continued you know, to do at the first part of the summer um, was we were doing Zoom meetings with parents. So I would say, hey, I'm going to be on the Zoom at this time. I'm going to come on, give you what we're doing in the building. Here's what's going to happen in summer transition. Here's how summer's going to, whatever the topic was. And then I'm going to take questions. And that those Zoom meetings, you know, there was, I mean, there was time to have 50 parents on there, you know, and then we would take the recording from that Zoom meeting and post it to the Facebook group. And then we, we would also email blast it out. So if you couldn't get on the Zoom meeting, here's what was talked about. Here's the question that was answered, you know, and it brought down the anxiety level of a lot of those parents. Um, so I think, and then like one every Friday, I would shoot a video, you know, and, and a lot of times it would just be kind of, here's what's going on next week. Um, 
from a, a, a system standpoint, from an operation standpoint, from an academic standpoint, you know, this is how many you know times your kids should be on with teachers. Here's what duty hours going to look like. Here's where you can find the directory. And then whatever, you know, we was also doing cultural building activity. We did a virtual mm. career week at my school. We did a virtual fire drill. We did Zoom into success. So basically kids had certain criteria they had to meet. Um, and then each week we picked a boy and girl from each uh, each team. I have six teams in my building and they would get a $5 gift card. So just really kind of staying in constant communication with parents and letting them see your face. You know, you can't at this time, you cannot be a leader sitting in your office. You cannot be non-visible. So really making sure they can see your face and have access to you. And that was the one thing that I really wanted to push. And I think it's going to push the trust factors that that communication has to be a two way street. It can't be just you disseminating information. You have to have an avenue or a tool to take in information and then make sure parents are feeling value what they're saying. You know, and then, OK, how are you implementing this? And then actually I credited, you know, just one piece. Of, you know, I'm all about, you know, we talk about data engaging is what I'm doing successful. When we had our end of the year Title One meeting district wide and you have to have parent representation there and we were doing it via Zoom. Usually they say, you know, they average maybe one parent from each school. My building had eight parents on there. So that, I mean, that just shows that parents, you know, like, hey, we appreciate the work that you're doing and just, you know, the private messages you get like that. So I think that the Facebook group to me was the biggest thing that I did, you know, during that time that kind of built that trust and continue even throughout the summer. Parents are still going on there. Hey, what's going on with this? And like I said, I, you know, if I can answer it, I answer it. If I can't, you know, I give them, you know, hey, here's what I can give you right now. And, I'm, and my thing is I try to be transparent. That's going to be the big thing, being transparent. You know, if you don't know, say you don't know, or if you say, I can't really give you that information right now, it's still kind of in the works. But as soon as it's released, you'll be the first one to have it. So those are kind of some of the things that I've done to really try to make sure I continue to build the trust with my parents and make sure that I'm available to them. That's, you know, that that transparency and availability piece is going to be very important for those parents, uh, for those leaders that are trying to build trust. But like I said, if you ain't had trust be with your parents before now, good luck, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Can I touch on something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. So, so, you know, talking about that whole trust piece, uh, when we came out, uh, when we uh, closed school March 13th, there was so much communication from the district because I'm in a big district. We've got, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 33 schools, about 34,000 students. Mm. And um, so there was communication coming all the time. And so I was really trying to find that balance that was, I didn't want to keep adding to the emails that folks were getting and just all those different things. And so I was kind of struggling where that happy medium was, where I was saying enough, I wasn't saying too much, but um, I had a parent that reached out to me and just said, you know, Mr. Ball, you know, the kids really want to hear a little bit more from you. Mm. And like, you know, you know, I didn't feel like she was calling me out, but she was calling me out. And, you know, and but I needed that feedback. And so that's when I kind of got into, okay, you know what? I'm going to do my morning announcements Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm posting it on Instagram. I'm going to do some fun stuff and uh, engage the kids and the families. And I think that made all the difference in the world. And because, you know, I've been proactive previous to us being locked down, she felt comfortable. And I, you know, I provided access to her, you know, anytime she had questions, I was, I was on it and, and trying to do my best to support her and, you know, all of our families. And so I think when you have that level of trust, your parents are going to come, come to you and say, Hey, you give you encouragement give you that feedback that you need so that, so that their kids can benefit from all of our kids can benefit. Yeah. This, this time quick. is definitely exposing the lack of trust that, that, schools didn't have but we got a lot of folks in the comments so first i want to appreciate everybody for tuning in this is episode two of the aos podcast school transition during COVID. uh david mcguire represent indianapolis uh we got we got dr smith up in this mug uh and, and then we got we got we got uh principal ball uh so we're here the aos podcast if you're first time listening we're three black male school leaders that care about kids families education and, and overall, just just blackness. So, you know, we appreciate everybody tuning in. I want to jump to some of the questions because we've had some folks ask some very important questions. And I want to jump to. Uh, so, so so it says our folks talking about restructuring the length of the school day. I haven't quite heard that yet. I've heard about two days on, two days off, black scheduling, A-B schedules and year round or seasonal calendars that allow for more frequent breaks. I'm wondering if start times and length times students are in the building have been talked about. Listen, that is a good question. I know, actually, going back to the earlier point, it was a parent on a parent Zoom call that asked me, Ms. McGuire, have you guys thought about adjusting the start and end time for school? And honestly, I she said it to me. I took it to my higher-ups, but I dropped the ball on following up on a conversation, and we have at school. So, 
that is a great question and something that needs to be explored. But what, what are you guys' thoughts on this restructuring of the school day? Uh, we we haven't you know talked about it because um, I feel like we haven't maximized the school day that we have now. Mm. You know, I feel like we, we can really do some more work in maximizing the time that we have now. I did see one thing. I'm gonna you know give you the shout out, Dave, that you had posted about. You know, if parents don't, you know, that are going virtual, do you feel comfortable seeing your kids in the evening? So like shit. Uh, yeah. So, you know, having like, you know, some kids that come say from like, you know, I don't know, eight to two. And mm -hmm. then you have another group that maybe come from like two to eight or whatever, you know, just kind of, you know, thinking outside the box or whatever like that. But I, uh, we haven't, you know, really had any conversation around shifting the day that what they come up in our restart committee, you know, mm -hmm. about looking at extending the day. And mostly it came up because of just the time it takes to unload and load kids on buses to make sure that they're still getting the instructional minutes they need. Um, but we came over to plan for the two middle schools that, you know, is going to utilize the time we already have up there. So it's been mentioned, but really, I think until we see exactly what a plan looks like in motion, then we can kind of revisit, do we need to extend the day? So yeah. that's what kind of what's happening where I'm at. Yeah, so with our, um, the hybrid plan that we initially kind of said, this is, you know, one of the recommendations that we sent to the board was a shorter day. So basically like a half day schedule starting at the normal time, but then at like 11, I can't remember exactly what it was, but like 1130 and the kids have, um, can pick up their grab and go lunch and then head home. And then after that, it was going to be uh, PD for our, for our staff. So whatever they need and also check-in opportunities. So, um, you know, for those kids that weren't in the building, whatever day that is in, in the rotation, whether the A or B schedule, teachers are going to have the opportunity to, or students going to be have, would have had the opportunity to log in and uh, ask questions on that day's lesson. And after that time, I think it was like an hour window after lunch that teachers would be available to students. But then after that, we'd have another hour up until 3.15 to do professional development. And again, kind of hitting all those things like, you know, that technology piece, making sure mm -hmm. that, um, you know, they're they're comfortable with the curriculum that they're integrating, that they're doing uh, all the things that they need. Meet, meeting our students, social, emotional needs, you know, just checking in with us uh, as an admin team or checking in as a staff. So um, and I think and we built that in also to our remote learning schedule. Um, the, the day is going to end a little bit sooner, but also. Um, we built in that time up until three o'clock for us to do professional development. So that is a great question. Yeah. I, I, and I want to hit on the point. So uh, Ms. Hoyer, we did at our school, we had parents that were on the committee and had parents weighing in. So, so our peak organization, which is our parent organization, we had four parents that help weigh in and, and offer some critique or some advice or, or comments on the plan, which is good. But to that piece right there about supports from other departments like SPED and, and ESL, this, uh, Listen, that that's that's good because the one thing about virtual is those kids that have an IEP, they get a time and a half like they, they're still entitled to that time and a half. Right. And it's that piece that you got to hit on. So how to leverage my SPED teachers who are going to be working double duty, because as I mentioned, I do have a segment of teachers teaching virtual, but I only have two SPED teachers for the 35 kids that we have. Right. So they have roughly their their caseload. But they have kids that are in person that they have to provide minutes for and then have to provide minutes for kids virtually. So they will be doing some some office hours after 4, 30, 5 p.m. contract hour times to meet those minutes because legally we have to. And the same thing with our ELL teacher. Unfortunately, we only have one ELL teacher and our school is growing. We went from two years ago. We had 21. Now we got 41 scholars that classify as ELL. Right. With one teacher. So that is an area that we have to to provide more supports for. And we're going to use some of the care packages to, to utilize instructional assistance. But for you all, I don't know what your SPED populations are like and ELL populations, if you have them, but ours are like 15 it was SPED and 14 with ELL. So how are you leveraging those supports for those uh, SPED and ELL students? Yeah. So we have, um, you know, we have resource teachers. We have uh, one for each grade level. I'm in a um, six through eight building. And usually for those students that have a resource class period, um, they're with that that teacher, uh, their resource teacher during that class period. And that's how it's going to work in the block. But at the same time, we have students that have push-in services. And so usually that takes place during their core classes, their English and social studies. And those teachers, the resource teachers are going to push into those classes still while they are virtual. And then they're also going to be scheduling um, office hours as well. So we're building in time 
for our students to get those uh, supports that they need. Now, I think the biggest challenge is for our students that are in our special day classes that have, um, you know, that are on the, the, the mild um, special day all the way up to intensive. Um, I think that's, you know, that's one of the challenges, but uh, our SDC teachers are going to do the exact same thing. Um, and, and hopefully that we're going to be, um, do the best that we can to support those students. Uh, it, it's tough in a virtual environment. What about you, Dot? Uh, so we kind of had a, a flip of our SPED pop or how we do our, our doing our SPED. So last year it was kind of by department and we were just running into issues with coverage and IEP meeting time. So what we did was this year when we redid our master schedules, we assigned a SPED teacher per grade level. So I have one SPED teacher working with sixth grade. I have one SPED teacher working with seventh, one working with eighth. And then we also, the way we set the schedule was, so for example, my seventh grade um, SPED teacher, she will do um, her class within a class or uh, co-teaching first hour and then right behind that she has her resource class with the hopes of she's going to take whatever she's doing with her cwc into her resource class so kids are getting some exposure to grade level content at the same time so if we move to a virtual standpoint or a virtual type of thing we'll still have that push in where they're going to be pushing into those classes. and we did that during the you know fourth quarter learning as well we had our sped teachers pushing in uh into those you know core classes and giving that that support and instruction in there but then they were also doing their resource classes as well at a different time and we had a set schedule on when you know certain teachers were doing what class um at on what day and then what day we were doing resource so really just trying to provide grade level support from a specific sped teacher as well as having their um, advisory class being that their caseload as well so there's building those relationships with those students and those parents and then um, basically we look we allow our sped teachers to loop with their kids as well so you know when they get come in and sixth grade they're going to loop with them all three years um and be on their caseload nice all right so now the the this is we're going to talk about managing teams all right and so managing teams in, in, in the light of you know everything going on with uh with COVID and reopening so i'm gonna kick this off and i, I need for all of our people watching not to not to come down on me but we talked about reopening and managing teams this is what i'm telling my my, my staff Kids still got to learn. Like we have an obligation to educate kids, right? So whether that's in person, whether that's online, the academics have to happen. The rigor has to be there. The intentionality has to be there. The differentiation has to be there. So once we decide on what we're going to do, right, I'm going to teach in person, then you better teach your ass off because we've already had a, a, a nine-week loss last spring. We got this summer loss. And I think people, what are people going to hide behind is this idea of we get a free year, right? You talked about, you saw Georgia cancel state testing. Uh, in Indianapolis or Indiana, the conversation's starting about what we're going to do with testing. Kids still got to learn. And there's still a bar that kids have to meet. And so whether we have state testing or not, I've made it. We're going to release our own data. We got interim testing. I'm going to put our data out publicly anyway, because there has to be a standard of excellence. So when I talk about managing my team, we're, we're dealing with the social and emotional. We hired a school counselor, praise God, for the first time, who's going to do supports for kids and parents and teachers. But we are educators, right? And we are we, we got to do right by our kids. And our kids got to learn. So when we start Teacher Institute on Monday, we hit no standards, unit unpacking, lesson plan pacing, a differentiation, you know, all those things. And so kid, they got to learn, you know, by any means necessary. So that's how I'm managing the team, you know, uh, but kids got to learn. So, Ball, let me let me ask you, how yeah. are you managing your team in preparation for restart and reopening in the 2020 school year? Yeah, I think it, it goes back to the previous question with communication. I think that in, in building trust, um, we have to you have to come out with a clear vision just like you said, our, our students have to learn and we have to have our stuff together on August 11th when school begins. Um, and I know that um, I give my teachers a lot of credit because uh, some of them have been checking in with me throughout the summer and, you know, saying, you know, I'm worried about this, but I'm prepping for this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my, my concern comes in a little bit um, because I know that, you know, my staff was amazing for the most part, most of them were working twice as hard as they were working <laughs> when school was in. 
Yeah. When school was out, you know, they were, they were <laughs> on it, you know, they were up late, you know, planning and working and things like that. And so, you know, I want them to make sure that they're taking care of themselves. But just like you said, you know, August 11th, we got to show up uh, and, and we got to show out, we got to be ready and we got to be prepared. And uh, you know, we got a lot of smart staff and they know how to, they, we're going to be using Google classroom. I got, you know, a couple of Google certified teachers and they're ready to go. They're ready to support their teammates. And so, you know, I'm not going to lean too hard, but I'm going to lean on those that are <laughs> in Google to help facilitate. Hey, Absolutely. Look, we got we to get everybody at a high level. So, um, so that these kids are getting what they need. Uh, and, and, and I think that's the most important thing. It starts with uh, me and my assistant principal coming together and say, like, hey, this, this is what we're going to be do going to do. And we're going to distribute that leadership. Um, you know, she's got the department she oversees. I have the departments that I oversee. We're going to, the two of us are going to be in sync and we're going to make sure that um, our department leads, you know, are, are going to lead and, and we'll be in there as much as we can to, to support. So I, I think yeah. the bottom line, it starts with us at the top and then just uh, distributing that leadership and setting those high expectations. You hit on everything. Yeah. D Doc, before you go, Bo, you said something that was key when you said, I'm a I'm a lean, but I'm also lean on those teachers, right? Who are yeah. Google certified because those teachers can help lean on their colleagues, and that's a good point, man. Like you knowing those teachers that you can that you can lean on, and then they do the leaning on the other teachers. So, Doc, you know how how are you managing you know, the team that you got in preparation for everything? So, um, I, I'm I'm just gonna start it with when we we did the first show with Unc way back in May. I told you I, I managed the dopest staff you know, this side of heaven. I mean, my staff is, is, is so dope and they, you know, they, they, they down the ride for whatever. So that makes my work that much easier. Um, but I'm, I'm going into it with the mindset of, you know, failure is not an option, but it is going to be a part of this process. There's going to be some mm. things that we are not going to get right. There's going to be some things that we mess up. There's going to be some things we just dropped the ball on, but we're not going to let that dictate how we move forward. We're going to be able to say, okay, we made a wrong move there. How do we get back on track? How do we move forward and make this happen? Despite you know, that wrong turn we took. And we're not going to hold it over people's head if they try something and it didn't work. You know, we're going to say we learn from that mistake and we move on. The other thing is, you know, really no excuses because excuses ain't nothing but roadblocks we choose to park at. And we ain't got time to be stagnant right now. We ain't got time for it. So, you know, it's really just pushing everybody. And my, you know, my building leadership team, my BOT is the people that I lean on. Those are the ones that I go to, my confidants, like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. How is it going to be received? And, you know, they, they'll be like, nah, doc, that ain't going to work, bro. Like, you you might want to rethink that. Or they might be like, yeah, yeah, we need to do that. And they are the ones that amplify my message. You know, it's, I, I tell people all the time, it's just like in the classroom. When you do peer tutoring, it works so much greater because that kid can say something to another kid that's going to get them on board. Just like in my position, a teacher saying something to another teacher is going to have way more weight and way more amplifying power than me saying it. So, you know, my BLT is the ones that I go to before I, I put anything out to the rest of the staff. And they're the ones, you know, when I talk about, hey, here's how we're going to do, you know, when I talk about the whole rotation, like I want to do, ro you know, rotating kids. They're like, oh, yeah, that might be a good idea. So I I'm leaning on my BLT to really kind of amplify the message. You know, I I'm, I'm, you know, like Bill Belichick, I provide the vision, I come up with the game plan, but it's up to them to make it, to do it, to execute. So that's kind of what, you know, where I'm at is my, my team is really just leaning on my BLT. I got a new assistant principal coming in. Um, that I got to get him up to speed. So, you know, we're going to hit the ground running on Wednesday to kind of get him up to speed and kind of get to going. Um, so in my two APs, like, they just got to be with it. Like, you got to be ready and ready to rock um, come day one. Um, but like I said, we, you know, it, it's failure is not an option. And, it, you know, we're not, we not dealing with excuses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I, and I want to hit on, so another part of the team, and I know, I know this says teacher teams, but I'm, I'm going to go to Ms. Toya said, as I meet with parents, they're desperate for training in Google Classrooms, right? So we put teacher teams, right? But I'm going to add a, a forward slash or backslash and say parent teams, right? So how are we training our teachers? So I mentioned we have a virtual option of Schoology, right? I also have to train the parents on how they can navigate through Schoology because I need for them to, to go into Schoology and make sure that their child is doing that discussion board, right? And I need them to confirm, right, that Johnny did his discussion board and Reggie, you know, completed his discussion board and in Schoology is housed everything, so they can chat with the parent or with the, with the, with the uh, teacher. They can communicate with other parents, right, and, and have meetings within there, right? They can get the lesson plan. They can see the weekend and glances. So we have to also manage our teacher teams by leveraging. I'm going to take one from you, Bob, leaning on the parents who I know have a grasp of the technology and piece like that, leaning on them to make sure they lean on the other parents. Because like I said with the teachers, parents, I love you. 
and I go hard for you too, but I need you as well. Kids got to learn, which means when you you got to create those systems at, at home and we, I can provide you with examples and there are plenty of examples and lean on other parents. But you got to create the conditions at home for learning, too, because school is not confined to a building. School is about the experience that we make, whether that's in a building or on a on a uh, computer or at a media center. That to me is school. Right. It's not the actual building, but we got to create those conditions for kids. So it's about leaning on everybody. So how are you all also managing the parent teams that you have in your buildings. I, I think you hit on a good point is, you know, um, we, we can't just assume that parents know how to do it. Mm. We as the experts have to provide the training and the development for parents on how to do it, whether it's just how to navigate, you know, Schoology or Canvas or Google Classroom. You know, we have to be able to set up sessions, you know, and help them do that. And then, you know, if they can't make it, provide them a recording of the session so that they can get the knowledge to do that well um like i said that communication piece what is it that they need you know we can assume all day long what they you know what we think they need but are we really asking them what are you what do you need and how can we as the leaders the school best support you in helping your kids be part of education because i think in this new normal that we're going into parents can no longer take a passive role in this education process mm -hmm. if you truly are one of kids love you're gonna have to be able to be a partner in this this ain't gonna be you just drop your kids off at the school door no more it's gonna be a team effort like we gonna have to really get back to that it takes a village to raise a kid mentality for this this thing to really work and if we not operate in that mindset then it's not gonna happen yeah yeah doc I, I'll, I'll just add to that i think that's a mindset that we should have that we should have had before COVID 19 happened mm. that you know it, whether it's the system and just, you know, the comfort level that we've had as, as a school building, you know, having that standoffish, like, you know, we do, we're the, we're the leading experts in kids, you know, we don't know how to teach them, but, but parents are the lead experts in their students. And we are doing a huge disservice to that student and that family if we're not including them in whatever the case is. And obviously over the last, you know, four months at this point, you know, it's, it's been all parents and, and kids in the same house and it, you know, I'm still working on it with all my kids trying to make sure that, that, that we got it together. I mean, we're in a summer mode and it's like, OK, guys, I was showing them the, the school board. I was like, that's going to be your schedule in a couple of weeks. Let's let's get focused. And, uh, you know, it, it absolutely takes that parent involvement because um, because starting remote, they're going to be the ones that are leading it. And it's and it's a tough spot to be in when that's not what you've been trained to do. Man, it's I. I we could go on for days about, you know, the, the peace with the parents, but as the comments are hitting on, right, it's the village, right? The, the parents are the village and, and we have an obligation and I know the three of us are doing this. So this is the AOS podcast speaking to all other school leaders, right? You have an obligation to make sure that you are engaging your parents in this conversation, but providing them with the tools that they need to be successful, whether that's technology, access to internet, how-to videos, how-to pamphlets, all those things. So you have the obligation. So, fellas, listen, this show, our hours, hours uh, flew by. So in parting shots, right, and, and I, I'll leave with the parting shots. Um, first of all, I want to thank everybody that's tuning in uh, to the AOS podcast. So my parting shots are going to be advertisements. So first, follow us on Twitter at the AOS podcast. Like the Facebook page. The AOS Podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube page by the same name, the AOS Podcast. But more importantly, even if you are doing something, even if you have teachers starting, share with your teachers. Thursday, July 30th at 2 p.m., we're leading a session called Leading in Crisis, Navigating Student, Staff, and Supports at the National Charter School Conference. So I encourage you, if you enjoyed this conversation, Check us out. We're going to provide more concrete tips and examples about how we as school leaders are leading through this time of crisis in hopes of inspiring and supporting those that need it. Um, so I encourage you to, to check us out on social media platforms, whether it's through the AOS podcast or individually. But check us out next Thursday, 2 p.m. at the National Charter School Conference, leading in a time of crisis. And we got the uh, information going to come through on the ticker real quick. But we'll go with. Dr. Smith, and then Ball, you're going to close us out, man. So, Dr. Smith, what's your final thoughts, brother? Uh, my, my, my final thought is, you know, just kind of starting out with is, you know, people take care of yourself first and foremost. You know what I'm saying? I, um, you know, this 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 virus is is real and it's, it's killing people. I know people close to me, uh, 
that it has affected in, in a major way. One of my really, really, really close colleagues lost a brother. So, you know, take care of yourself first and foremost, take care of your family, make sure you are good. Um, and when it comes to this education thing, like parents, don't let your voice You need to be a part of this um, conversation and stay a part of this conversation. Um, school leaders, if you're not doing nothing now, you know, to keep your parents connected, then, you know, you need to start doing it. You need to start building those bridges and making sure those relationships are right. And then teachers, we, we, we can't make this happen without you. And if your voice is not being heard, I need you to start speaking louder. I need you all to come together as one and make sure your voice. Ball, that's you. What's up, man? Okay. All right. Close this out, Ball. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to thank everyone that has joined the show um, on Facebook and, and, and all that, uh, on YouTube, following us. Uh, it is uh, a humbling experience to be in the presence of you, you gentlemen. Um, I'm excited to just be here. Um, but, you know, to, to close out, I think my biggest takeaway is communication, communication, communication. Uh, I, I think that is so vital for us as educational leaders that we're communicating to our families, we're communicating to our students, uh, that we're communicating to the folks above us. Um, you know, these are uncertain times, uh, but it really matters how you say whatever it is that you say. We don't have all the answers. We're trying to work through this together. And I think that's the, that's the biggest thing. Communicate and, and build community, lean into each other. Uh, as Doc said, you know, make sure you're taking care of each other and taking care of yourself, but we're in this thing together. I mean, you know, as everyone's talking about, you know, we're all in this storm together, but we've all got different boats and it's our responsibility to support each other in whatever boat that we're in. Um, it, it's, it's an honor and it's a great opportunity to be leading students and to be leading families. And uh, I'm just excited uh, for, uh, for the opportunities that we got coming up uh, here in August as schools uh, open up in whatever Absolutely. form that is. That's right. <laughs> Again, thank you for tuning in. This has been the AOS Podcast. And catch us again next Thursday at the National Charter School Conference. But catch us next month for episode three. And I just want to say my internet lasted. So let's close out. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Go, Mark.